Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us uh, here at Center Campus, as well as those joining us from our campus in Bearspa, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to welcome our online viewers as well. In August, we started a sermon series called Fruitful. And we are looking at the various attributes listed under the fruit of the Spirit. Pastor Henry is preaching from the book of Romans this fall, and he will continue with it whenever he speaks. And when he's not speaking, we will pick up on this other series. The fruit of the Spirit conveys the character qualities of Jesus. Jesus embodied the fruit of the Spirit. Now, as you read the four Gospels, you will come across many instances where Jesus demonstrates these very character qualities. And the Holy Spirit makes us more like Jesus by producing these character traits in us. And I cannot think of a topic that's more fitting for the times we are living in. How are we as Christians perceived by the society around us during this pandemic? Are we shining lights in the midst of the darkness? Philippians 2.15 speaks of Christians who live pure and blameless lives and as a result stand in total contrast to the world. The last part of Philippians 2.15 says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. This is speaking of Christians. The kindergarten poem, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, expresses a child's wonder as they see the bright stars in the sky at nighttime and it looks like diamonds in the sky and gets everyone's attention. And you don't need to be a little child to gaze at the stars and go, wow. Now, that is how Christians are to be in the community. Shine like stars. Be noticed because we are different. We stand out because of our character. This should be true in the marketplace, in the neighborhood, in our interactions with family members. See, we command the respect of others even if they disagree with what we believe. Now, how do we become such kind of Christians who shine so brightly in times such as this? The Apostle Paul gives us the answer in Galatians chapter 5. The key to all this is the Spirit-filled life. When we are yielded to the Holy Spirit, He produces these character qualities within us. So that is the true mark of spiritual maturity. So far in this series, we have taken a closer look at love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. And today we will look at yet another attribute or flavor of the fruit of the Spirit, goodness. Goodness is an attribute of Jesus. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is speaking to the Gentile household of Cornelius, and this is what he says regarding Jesus. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. You see that Jesus was 
anointed by the Holy Spirit, and he performed good deeds wherever he went. And in doing so, Jesus is a model for us. So we can go about doing good in the power of the Holy Spirit and bring healing to those who are oppressed by the enemy. We're going to look at two scripture passages today. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, and Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. And if you're physically able, I'll invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bow. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Will you pray with me? Lord, in the quietness of this moment, we silence our hearts so we can be in tune with your spirit, in tune with the message that you want to speak to us today. And help us, Lord, we pray to hear what you have to say. Not just be hearers of your word, but also doers of your word. And you will enable us to be able to apply these truths that we as a community may be able to shine your light brightly. Oh, we pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Atheists seem to love billboard campaigns. And over the years, we have seen big, bold statements from them. Now, the most popular one is, there's probably no God. Stop worrying and enjoy life. Now, that is a bad one. Well, if I go to a beach and see the sign, there's probably no sharks. Stop worrying and enjoy your swim. I don't know about you. I'm not going into the water. You know, another popular atheistic billboard campaign is called Good Without God. The argument is millions of people are doing good deeds even though they have no faith in God. So belief in God is not a necessity to do good deeds or live a good life. As Christians, we will actually agree with this. All people have the capacity to do good. And that is because we are all made in God's image. And the last thing we should communicate is Christians are the only ones who can do good. Atheists and agnostics do good deeds. People of other religions do good deeds. Made in God's image, 
Every person has the inherent capacity to do good. Which leads to the question, in what way is goodness a fruit of the Spirit? How is this different from our general ability to do good? A goodness as a fruit of the Spirit is not just addressing our capacity to do good deeds. The focus is not on the sporadic good deeds that all of us engage in. But it is talking about goodness as the overflow of our heart. It comes from deep within us. See, the life of Jesus flows inside of us through the power of his spirit. And a deep well of goodness resides within us out of which we can draw from. And that can be true only of those who are followers of Christ. And Jesus says this very clearly in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. And listen to this. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A fruit is good or bad depending on the health of the tree. And fruit is a metaphor for character or conduct. And what Jesus is saying is, our actions reveal what is inside of us. It portrays the deep underlying conditions of our heart. What is inside of our heart will inevitably be demonstrated in our words and our behavior. You can't help it. If Jesus has indeed changed our hearts, that we have been redeemed and transformed on the inside, and the Holy Spirit of God has permanently resided within us, then that transformation ought to be visible to those who are around us on the outside. And that is why I firmly believe we cannot manufacture good deeds in our own strength. Because if our motivations are not right, the deeds are no longer good. But good deeds are a consequence of the heart change that has taken place within us. And that is a unique work of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When we become Christians... We are the new creation of God. And God, through our lives, demonstrates His craftsmanship. And we are His masterpiece. So why does God so painstakingly shape us and mold us? Why does He chisel the rough edges to turn us into this exquisite work of art, a masterpiece? What's the reasoning behind all this? Our verse gives us the answer. This is God's intent, his purpose in recreating all of us. Why? So that we can engage in good works. Before our conversion, the sinful nature and total control over our life produced sinful deeds. But now that we have encountered Jesus, 
Jesus is in charge of our life, and consequently, good deeds flow out of our heart. Now keep in mind, we are not saved by our good deeds. Salvation is a free gift of God, received by grace through faith. So we are not saved by doing good deeds, but we are saved in order to do good deeds. Our profession of faith is validated by our works. Our good works result in the praise and glory of God. Jesus is saying exactly that in the text we read from Matthew chapter 5, part of the Sermon on the Mount. And that is the text I want to focus on for the rest of our time. In Matthew 5, Jesus uses the analogy of salt and light, two basic household commodities. Matthew 5, 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Salt had a variety of use in antiquity. It was used as a preservative, so they will rub it on meat to keep it from perishing. But what Jesus is specifically highlighting here is the use of salt as a flavoring agent. Now, have you ever made a dish, and when you taste it, you realize you forgot to add salt? A salt has the ability to season the food and make it taste good. It brings out the best flavor. And what Jesus is, is essentially saying is, in the same way, a Christian's impact the community. We flavor the community around us. So a bunch of Christians can join hands and bring the best out of a neighborhood. Christians, even if they are a minority in their workplace, can transform their workplace environment. Students who are Christ followers can bring a positive change in their schools and universities by their presence. A church can integrate into the community at such a deep level that we bring the best out of the entire community. Wherever we go, Christians function as agents of transformation. We don't isolate ourselves and live in seclusion, but we are called to be difference makers in the society. And Jesus says, a salt that is not salty is no good. So if we as Christians fail to season the world around us, if the world around us remains the same, then that is a good indicator that we are not fulfilling God's purposes as his followers. Christians don't blend in to become like the world, but we flavor the world so the world can become like us. So that's the first analogy of our influence in the community as Christ followers. The second analogy is to do with light. Here's verses 14 to 16. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, 
that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, in the Old Testament, Israel was given the title of being the light of the world. So it was through Israel, the nations surrounding them will come to know God in a personal way. Now, Jesus takes this very title and now designates this to his followers. And he says to them, you are the light of the world. And it is through you, the message of God is going to go forth. So he's reassigning a job description. God wants to use his followers now as the church to diffuse the knowledge of God to the nations. That is our mission as disciples of Jesus. We have an analogy that Jesus is using. Think about a a city on a top of a hill. At nighttime, the light from the houses can be seen even from miles away. You can't hide it. In the same way, in a household, you don't light a lamp and conceal the light. You allow the lamp to shine and its warm glow chases the darkness away. Hiding a light contradicts its very purpose. So Jesus is saying in the same way, just as we turn on a switch in a dark room and light floods in, you as followers of Jesus should be turning your lights on so the darkness around us will disappear. So here's a question. How do we turn our lights on? How do we shine so brightly in dark times like this? The key verse is verse 16, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How will people glorify God? People will see the light through the good deeds of Christ's followers. That is how we spread the light of Jesus. This summer, we were visiting a city that I'll leave unnamed, but we had an interesting experience as a family. It was thought-provoking. So our family, we were sitting in a restaurant patio and eating dinner together. And just a few meters from us was... On the road was a street preacher. He had a couple of helpers who were along with him, and they had uh, big banners of John 3.16 printed on it. They were using a, a small a sound system and a microphone and preaching to the people who were walking by the street. And nobody seemed to be paying any attention to them, except a large group of LGBTQ activists who showed up with their own banners and started playing loud music to interrupt the guys from preaching. Now the preacher got going, was spewing words of condemnation and judgment on the LGBTQ activists. And they, on their part, did everything to provoke the preacher and hinder him from doing his job. They started to dance, some took off their shirts, and They were encouraging people who were driving by to honk in support of them. I felt like we were in a dinner theater watching a drama, except this was all real. 
And as I was looking at this whole scene unfolding, I also was scanning the whole street to see what was happening, the reactions of people around. And I noticed there were lots of homeless people over there. There were some who were scavenging for bottles, a couple of people sitting on the sidewalk who showed clear signs of mental illness. And I couldn't help but think, what if we don't start with the preaching, but begin by meeting the needs in the community, help address those obvious signs of brokenness that are so visible? See, in doing so, we are demonstrating to the world what we are for, not what we are against. And in showing people the love of Christ, we earn their trust. We communicate that we are different. We create goodwill and earn credibility. And goodwill is a great platform to be able to share the good news. It serves as a springboard to be able to communicate the truth of the gospel. Now, not for a moment am I discounting the role of preaching. Preaching has an important role in the evangelistic task. But preaching alone is not enough. Rather than fighting, arguing, and calling people names, if we can be the redemptive light for Jesus in a setting like this, perhaps people will sit up and take notice. Perhaps they may be open to listening to our preaching. What does Jesus say here in our text? People will see our good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, our good deeds can witness to the gospel. Jesus is saying the world around us will be brought to its knees, not by our preaching, but through our actions, our deeds as followers of Christ. They, through that, people will glorify our Father in heaven. And the word glorify there is very interesting. A Christian author, John Dixon, points out that this is the biblical expression for giving God honor, acknowledging his greatness. So this is not people saying, oh, gee, these are super nice Christians. This is a confession of faith. They are worshiping God and honoring him as a result of what they have witnessed through our deeds. So through our actions, we can lead people to worship and a right relationship with God. And when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he's not just talking about individual Christians. He's referring to the whole Christian community. The you in the original language is plural. can be translated, you all, you all are the light of the world. And that is yet another reason why we need the church, that you cannot live a, a silo spiritual life on your own. You need the gathering of God's people where we come together and we shine the light of Jesus brightly. We all as Christians, as a collective community, are the light of the world. And when we unite in doing good, when we join hands to show the goodness of Jesus to others, it will draw people to the truth. 
Now hear me. People will not just come to faith through our good deeds alone. And I don't think that's Jesus' intent here. Good deeds will make people wonder and question why we are doing what we are doing, why we are so different. And when they ask us why, that is an opportunity to give a clear response. Unashamedly, we testify to the gospel's power to change lives. And that is what the apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 3.15 when he says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So as a church, when we revere Jesus as Lord, when we are living lives that are worth questioning, when our lives are yielded and surrendered to the Holy Spirit, there will be those around us who are watching us closely, and they're going to come to you and say, I see something different about you. What is the reason behind that? And at that moment, Peter is saying, we are not to be silent, but we are prepared to give the reason for the hope that we have in Jesus. We offer them the hope of life. And Jesus intended for our words and our deeds to go hand in hand. If all that we do is to preach and we don't communicate how the gospel has brought a transformation in our lives, then we will make a lot of noise. If all that we do is good deeds and not share the hope that we have in Jesus, then people will praise us for being so kind. And it is when we do good deeds, and proclaim the good news, people will come to understand God as their Savior and will surrender their lives to Jesus. And all through history, the church advanced when they used the power of good deeds to transform the society, when they became salt and light in the neighborhoods, when they like Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, went about doing good and helped people who are oppressed by the enemy. In the very first century, the Christians in the book of Acts not only preached, but they started a welfare program that met the needs of the poor. So what do we see in Acts chapter 6? They recruit someone like Stephen and a few other people who are faithful to be in charge of this distribution program where they were clearly meeting the needs of those who were in need. Now, the early church didn't stop with that. They loved their enemies and prayed for those who were persecuting them, and they cared for the least among them. Historian and sociologist Rodney Stark talks about the impact of the Christian faith during these early years on the Greco-Roman cities with these words. These are fascinating words. Listen to me carefully. To cities filled with the homeless and the impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, 
Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. Now think about this. Every one of those items in the list is relevant for today. Now fascinating, in the fourth century, the Roman Emperor Julian expressed a concern that the Christian faith was going to take over the world by the stealth of their good works. So he demanded the priests of his pagan religion to replicate what the Christians were doing. So he gave them order to uh, do prison visitation, care for the sick, uh, start orphanages and poverty relief programs. And he gave a, a massive donation to his priests to beat the Christians in their own game. But not much came out of that. See, you can pump money into a welfare program, but you can't change the human heart. With all of their efforts, Rome could not convince their own people to love the unlovely and care for those who are being ignored, and they failed miserably in all their attempts. But the Christians, they not only did good deeds, but they proclaimed the uncompromising, undiluted message of the gospel that there is no way to heaven apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And their good deeds put the spotlight on the good news and they turned their world upside down for the kingdom. And what I'm saying to you is not just unique to the first few centuries of Christianity, but you study the history of the Christian faith and how it grew in various parts of the world, the recipe is the same. Good deeds and the good news go hand in hand, and it conquers all oppositions. As a young man, I remember this very vividly. Walking in the streets of the outskirts of Bangalore, India. And I was in this particular neighborhood where I saw one Christian home after another. And I wondered, how did this happen? How did such transformation take place in this little neighborhood? What is the secret behind all this? And it was no surprise when I came to realize that a few Christian missionaries from Germany moved into that neighborhood and they started a home for HIV-infected children. And these babies were seen as cursed and completely abandoned. Single moms who gave birth to these illegitimate kids didn't have the money to provide for their medical expenses. And they didn't want the shame and ignominy of raising kids with AIDS. So these babies who are HIV positive will be left anonymously at the doorstep of this children's home. The German missionaries, along with the local Christian believers, cared for these sickly babies, gave them medication and clothing and food and took 
good care of them. I went inside that children's home and saw with my own eyes the phenomenal work that was taking place in that community. And they told me as they walked me through this children's home that most of these kids will not go past their 12th birthday. Many of them die way younger. A society had labeled these kids as cursed, but Christians saw them as precious and beautiful and made in the image of God and offered them unconditional love. And lo and behold, through their good deeds, the spotlight was on the good news, and the people who lived in that community came to understand something about the character of Jesus and decided to give their lives to him. And I'm not talking here about a missionary tactic, a bait-and-switch model where we manipulate people into believing through our good deeds. That's not what I'm talking about. We engage in good deeds with no ulterior motives because it is who we are as transformed individuals. Goodness is a natural overflow of a transformed heart, and we can't help but engage in these good deeds. For that is how we demonstrate our love for Jesus by serving our fellow people. I want us to think about the world we are living in today. A world in total disarray. Hopeless. With all kinds of needs around us. Perhaps more lonely people in Canada now than any other time in history. And when we allow the goodness of God that has been poured into our hearts to spill over and meet the needs of those who are around us, the spotlight is on the good news and a great platform for us to be able to share the difference Jesus can make in our lives.